This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. To get 10% off your first month of therapy, visit the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Holly Field Nutrition Podcast. I am Holly Samuel. I am your podcast host today. I am also a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer, and I am so excited for today's episode to welcome Martinez Evans to the show. He is 300 pounds and running on Instagram. You may know him as the founder of the Slow AF Run Club, and now he is an author of the Slow AF Run Club book. He is also a running coach. He's been on the cover of Runner's World, and the man has been busy promoting his new book. Um, You may have heard him on a couple other podcasts as well, and I was so honored to get to chat with him today. And I got to shout out my client because one of my clients actually saw that Martinez had posted something on his Instagram, um, wanting to go on podcasts to, you know, help promote and talk about the book that was coming out in June. And my client commented, oh my gosh, you should be on, you know, Holly's podcast. It would be a great fit. And I was like, you're so freaking right. Thank you for this opportunity. So I really appreciate you guys for giving me ideas for podcast guests, because honestly, I always love hearing what you want to hear and who you want to hear on this show. That's super important to me because otherwise, why am I even doing this if no one wants to listen, right? So thank you so much for the recommendation, client. I really appreciate it. And if you are someone who is a beginner runner, or maybe you want to start running, or you have friends who want to start running and aren't sure where to start, Or maybe you're a runner who identifies more as like a back of the pack runner, or you feel that you're a slower runner, um, or you, you know, incorporate like walking into your running plan or other cross training, or maybe you're a runner who lives in a larger body, or maybe you're not. Anyone honestly can find some great info in the Slow AF Run Club book and in this podcast episode conversation. I think it's super important, the work that Martinez does. I find his story extremely inspiring. Um, and I am, I just am really glad he does the work that he does, um, for the running community to give back because it's super important work. So without further ado, I'm going to stop blabbering and let's get into today's episode with Martinez Evans. Martinez, welcome to the Holly Field Nutrition Podcast. How's it going? You've been busy. I, I feel amazing, Holly. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, and I have been busy. It's been a crazy past seven days, but you know, this, these are things that we prayed for. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, we're recording this for those listening at the time of your book release, which is uh, which was this week. Um, I got mine like two days ago, uh, and I finished it. It's so good. Um, so you've been all over the place. I've seen you. I think on like Good Morning America, New York Times, several other podcasts. Super cool. You're getting you're getting all over the place. Yeah, it's one of those things. At this point, I don't even know where I'm even at these days. Um, it was funny because my sister emailed or texted me and was like, hey, a family friend said somebody shouted you on the radio. Uh, I don't know if you heard it. I'm like, it's in Detroit. Like, no. And then come to find out it was like one of the national syndicated radio shows. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's cool. Been yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I mean, for those listening, in case they haven't heard you somewhere else yet, um, who who is Martinez? Where are you located? Where are you from? And what do you do? Yes. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon to wherever you're at in the world. My name is Martinez Evans. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. Um, currently reside in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm a fat runner. And I, I also founded this little club you may or may not know called the Slow Run Club. Uh, we have over 10,000 members worldwide, actually more than 10,000 members. We're close to like 15,000 members worldwide now. Um, and our goal with the Slow Your Front Club is to get 1 million people to start running in the body that they have right now. We want to inspire people to start running, and I want to be able to provide resources, tools uh, for individuals to start running. So that's what we do. 
I love it. I love it. I um I think it's so great. I've followed you for a couple of years and I absolutely love the work that you do. It's so necessary and it makes it's going to make running more accessible for so many people. Um can you give a little bit of background um about just how you got into running because I I think your story is is definitely worth sharing. <laughs> absolutely. So, I, I started running back in 2012. Um, the reason why I started running is that I went to go see a doctor over some hip issues and he caught me fat and told me I need to lose weight or die. And that sparked a, a heated debate. Some would even say an argument. And I told him I was going to run a marathon and he laughed at me and told me that was the dumbest thing he has heard in all his years of practicing medicine. So I'm going to go buy some running shoes. Um, I got on the treadmill and failed miserably, literally failed off the treadmill. And that was the start of my journey. However, I kept going. I was persistent and consistent in the journey. And I kept going every day um, just to get a little bit better. And about 18 months after me meeting that doctor, I ran my first marathon. Did you send him the picture of you on Runner's World? I wish. You know, the thing is that <laughs> I moved around so much during that time um, that I don't remember his name. I don't yeah. remember his office. Like, I know in, in about, like, where it may have been, but like, it's been so long. Um, I, I've moved to about seven different places since then. So, and it's just one of those things where he's, he's out of my lexicon. I don't remember his name, but I think one of the things is that I never forget what he said to me and how he made me. Yeah. I mean, your story and just kind of talking through that, like going into the doctor for, hip pain, um, which after reading your book, it sounds like you were in hard bottom shoes working on your feet for several hours a day yeah. that would totally destroy anyone. Um, and you know, kind of getting told that, um, unhelpful <laughs> feedback, um, and then saying, well, I'm going to go run a marathon and then getting laughed at. I mean, that I think is a horrific experience. And it's definitely one that I know a lot of people, especially those in larger bodies face in just the healthcare system. Um, and it can be, I mean, so discouraging at least, you know, and like heartbreaking and devastating at worst. Um, I think it's, I think it's so cool that your personality was to kind of say, screw you, I'm going to go buy running shoes. I also love that that was your first step because that's like one of the most <laughs> important steps, um, is to go get running shoes and then get, get moving. Um, but I mean, in terms of like your, your running journey, when you got started, you know, which was immediately after that doctor's appointment, like, how did it go for you? Did you feel like information for like true beginners into the sport like yourself was really accessible? Um, or did you feel like a little bit lost and confused and not sure like what to do? I was lost and confused. Um, during that time, I bought a bunch of running books, uh, which I still have. Um, there was this guy, I think like his name, his nickname was like the penguin, John, John something, John Bingham, I think. And like, yeah. he was there, but like, once I got deep into running, like he just disappeared. I don't know if he like retired or what, um, but there wasn't any, any tools out there for a larger individual like myself, right? Even clothes. I remember, and this is a story that, that didn't make the, the book was, you know, yes, I went to go buy running shoes at like Flea Feet, right? But I went to a, a big box retailer um, a big box support and good retailer and was like, Hey, like, do you have stuff that can fit me? And I remember the guy being like, Oh, like this will fit you. And I'm like, this is not going to fit me. He's like, Oh, go try it on. And I go try it on and couldn't get the shirt back off. So I had to rip the shirt off of me. Like, like, like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally. I was going to say Wolverine just, just style. Like, <laughs> just like ripped the shirt off of me and got the hell out the store. But like, yeah. that was like what my journey was. And it's crazy how even to this day, a lot of big boss retailers don't carry men's plus size clothing inside of stores. And that really, that hurts my feelings. Absolutely. Especially, you know, if <laughs> the messaging, I'm a registered dietitian and a personal trainer, and I work with runners of all levels and all different body sizes. And like the messaging that so many people hear is 
you know, you're fat or you're too big, you have to go exercise in order to make yourself smaller to be quote unquote, you know, acceptable, healthy, whatever it is, um, which we know simply is it true that exercise, you know, can provide really helpful mental and physical health benefits, but it doesn't, you know, always need to be about making ourselves smaller. Um, but then we don't make it accessible for people to buy like clothes and shoes and the things that they need to kind of, you know, create a sustainable habit. Yes. And that's the crazy part. And it almost puts you in this catch 22 where for individuals, you have the, the world telling you, ah, you're fat, finger pointing, shame, shame, shame. And then you, you figure out how to work your way out of that shame. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go try something. And then when you go there, there's nothing for you. So then you just feel even worse because there's nothing for you. And then you just go down this deep, dark hole of, I'm, I'm a bad person or I'm morally bad. And like, I did this to me versus blaming the system that's at play. Right. That's not making clothes that fit my body to do the things that, you know, we all want to be able to do. Um, in terms of like, you know, you feeling like running itself wasn't super accessible. You know, you're trying to buy clothes to run in, um, that fit you that aren't super accessible in stores. Um, the information and whatnot itself too, in some of the books that you read, like figuring out a training plan, figuring out how to get moving when, you know, maybe you've, you haven't been active before, or you definitely haven't been a runner before. Like what types of resources did you use and tell people maybe some of like the, not mistakes, but experiences you went through that you have now wrote a book about <laughs> to hopefully make it more accessible for others. Couch to 5k. Let's yeah. start there. I don't know who, if there's even a trademark on like couch to 5k, if anybody owns the name, but like there's tons of different couch to 5k apps out there. And I don't know if it's still true now, but I know back in the day, um, you know, it's an eight week program and Week eight, day three is run 30 miles. I mean, run 30 minutes. Congratulations, you ran a wow. 5K. And me being, you know, this 300 pound man and being like, wait a minute. So you want me to run faster, a little bit faster than a 10 minute mile? <laughs> and I was like, this is supposed to be a beginner's program, right? Like who's running at this pace? Right. Like who's running at this pace? I thought this is what be a beginner's plan. And I remember thinking to myself, like, is there like a pre couch to 5k? Like what's, what's before couch to 5k? Like, is there like couch to one mile? Like, and really going through all the different training plans out there and, and most of the couch to 5k's end out like that, that I remember being at like week eight and being like, oh, like I'm gonna run 30 minutes but I'm going to have to like add more days or add more weeks to this training plan in order for me to actually run the, the three miles or the 5k that's required of me. Right. And it's like, yeah, literally is couch to 5k. Like we are, this is for people who do not run and are on the couch. Like why would they go from couch to 10 minute mile in three weeks? That's crazy. <laughs> like that's going to set you up for injury or burnout or just you know, um, emotional self-loathing, um, that you don't need. Um, so I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think too, like a lot of the, the running information out there that is on like Instagram or in books or on the internet, it does kind of come from a place that assumes a certain baseline of people. And I think that is one of the, one of the many, many things that makes the sport a bit exclusive um, and doesn't always welcome people off the couch into the sport as graciously. It's kind of like, you know, sink or swim. <laughs> Good luck. Right. We hope yeah. we hope you're fast enough to hang, um, which is ridiculous because that's not how it should be if we're trying to get people to move and, you know, find joy in movement. Um, so like even in your book, which I want to talk about more. Um, you have some really great like training plan options in here. Um, and you have, you know, a lot of like kind of run walk intervals broken down. And a lot of what you do is based off of just time on your feet and not pace. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about just as a coach yourself, like how you 
help train people who are trying to get into the sport from a true <laughs> couch to 5k standpoint and they're not yeah. you know brick, breaking out 10 minute miles absolutely you know i think you said it best my philosophy is definitely time on feet even when i talk to um, people and they always ask me hey martinez should i train for speed first or distance first you know my answer is always distance my answer is always time on feet like you can get faster your body can get more e efficient by running but there's no need to practice speed when you can't even run the distance like you're you're setting yourself up for failure so i think that's uh the way that i think about coaching i also think about coaching from the the no-nonsense approach right you know i think that when you think about diet culture in general there's like this this veil this veil that's like put over it of like you know, you won't know the, the true secret until you pay this, or you won't know the true secret until you buy this pill or mixture or powder or things of that sort. And, you know, my thing was that it's no nonsense. Like people have been doing stuff and living their tons of lives, like without any of these pills and supplements. Like, why do you need those now? So that's something that I'm always telling the people that I coach is like, do you think you really need them? Like, how is, you know, here's a, here's a better question. Like, if you're still working on like shaving minutes off your mile, why do you think like a supplement that's really just helped to take seconds off of somebody's mile is really going to make a difference? Totally. Totally. And I love that your approach in the book is like, you kind of tell people, okay, this is what you like should buy and should invest in upfront, like shoes and like, you know, maybe eventually clothes that won't, you know, br bring out the chafe monster as you call it, which I mean, that should just be, that's like getting your first chafing spots, like a rite of passage as a runner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're not a runner when you run a certain distance or time. It's when you chafe for the first time or have like a bathroom story. Um, oh my God. Never, <laughs> look, never trust a sock on the road. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and you and, don't, and you know, you kind of leave out like these things are like fun to have, but they're not really necessary. They're just going to be overwhelming at first. Yes. And I will say the other thing is with nutrition, right? I think that in this diet culture age where, you know, you're bad if you're paleo, you're bad if you're nutri uh, if you are vegan, you're bad if you're only pescatarian, like there's everybody like, oh, well, what about the mercury? Well, what about the, 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 the steroids and the beef, then like, what about GMO plants? And it's like, ah, right. But one of the things that I try to do is just empower people. Cause I, I'm, I'm really not about, you know, uh, dictating what goes in people's mouths. But, but what I really am all about is like letting people know that, you know, the importance of a, a balance, a, a balanced nutrition and like, what does this stuff mean? So, you know, imagine trying to coach somebody and, you know, they're on this low carb diet. Imagine trying to coach somebody and they're on this low carb diet. And they're like, oh, like I want to train for this half marathon. And I'm like, great. You need to increase your carbs. And they're like, ah, but carbs are bad. You know, I'm on this low carb diet and really having to explain to them, like, well, ma'am or sir, you need carbs and here's why and it's like but carbs gonna make you fat and it's like no carbs don't make you fat carbs hold on to water like do you really know what a carb does in your body do you know what protein do in your body like do you know what a fat does in your body like do you understand this type of stuff and if no like then hear me out because these are the things that you really need to learn um these are the things that you really need to learn as an athlete um and this will help you with sustainability in the long run. So that's something I always try to help individuals as well. Yeah. I mean, I read, you know, the, I read the nutrition chapter, you know, part in your book and I, you know, as a dietitian, I was like, this is so fabulous because I think just like running, you know, like proper nutrition, which for those of you who can't see me, I'm using air quotes. Um, it is also something that's kind of like it's almost gatekeeped. It's like, there's so much information that it can become like analysis paralysis situation where people don't, you know, 
really know what to do. So they go for, you know, the, the pill or the supplement or the thing that's kind of black and white, easy to grasp. Um, and whenever I approach nutrition with clients, I kind of use um, evidence-based approach, which is kind of like a pyramid where, you know, the base is kind of like, okay, are we eating enough in general? And then the second part of the base is like, are we eating enough of the protein, the carbs, the fats that you talked about? And, you know, is it in the right amounts for what we're trying to do? And then we can talk about, you know, micronutrients and vitamins and minerals. Are we getting enough of those? Then we can talk about timing, like, you know, eating before, during, after your workouts. Then we can talk about like your hormone status, fancy stuff, you know, ergogenic aids, caffeine, that kind of stuff to help you with your performance. But it's like, if we start all the way up there and we're missing the base of the pyramid, like you're probably just going to be out a lot of money and not actually seeing the results that you want to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The nutrition chapter was fabulous. I mean, for people who are trying to get into running and just want to understand like, what are these foods doing for me and what should I focus on? It was, it was spot on. Um, I mean, one of the things I just to quote your book, um, on page 58 that you said was, you know, before we talk about new a nutrition strategy, let's talk about the nutrition basics. When it comes to running food as fuel, it's not about food, good food versus bad food. It's about clean. It's not about clean food. It's not about weight loss or your appearance. It's about what food can do to optimize your performance and your mental state. The right nutrition for you is flexible and is based on what you can access geographically and financially. So important. It's not about some Instagram influencer trying to hawk. It's like so, so, so such a perfect introduction um, into just how I approach nutrition as a sports dietitian. Um, and I think it's just such an integral part of your book. Obviously, I'm biased, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing, Holly, like there, I had this guy who was like, this supposed to be like this fitness business manager reach out to me. Right. And he was like, yo, Martinez, you know, you, you'll be making a killing if you really just promoted supplements, you know, you're, you'll get, you'll make all types of commissions and all <laughs> types of money back. And, you know, things of that sort, if you just started promoting supplements and like what protein powders you use and all this other stuff. And I looked at him and was like, well, I don't use that stuff though. Like, and I'm not going to promote anything I don't use. And, you know, that stuff is expensive. And most of the time, like there's no quality control. And he was like, oh, but you can be a millionaire if you just did this. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Because my morals and what, like what I stand for is way more than like some dollars. So you know, as much as people are like, hey, guys, and you know, the social media people that's like, hey, guys, before I work out, I'm going to go take my powder. And it's like, you should be taking this powder, too. And it's like, but you don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to. And it might have like, I don't know, a bunch of caffeine in it and your heart might pop out of your chest if you take it. Um, I know some of the stuff out there is so crazy. Actually, too, while we're on the topic of nutrition, um, I, what I hear a lot and what you kind of talked about a lot in your book as well. And just based off your own experiences, um, a lot of runners feel like, you know, they don't look air quotes again, don't look like a runner. Um, you know, maybe they have a body size that formerly was not on the cover of runner's world and was not represented. And they're constantly bombarded, you know, by these messages that they need to shrink themselves to be a runner or, you know, they just don't belong. Um, and a lot of the times like the overlap I see with that, you know, is I need to like micromanage my nutrition and that's going to like fix me. Um, when you kind of have navigated these messages on your own and with the clients that you work with and people you're speaking to in your audience with the slow AF run club, like what's your main message to them um, while they're constantly being bombarded with these unhelpful messages? Um, my main message to them is that, Hey, um, this diet industry is, I forget, it was like 4.2, $4.7 trillion, you know? So one of the things I really want y'all to really think about is who who is really benefiting from this messaging and like, why do they want you to buy this stuff so badly, you know? And that, that that's the main thing, right? And I think the other thing is letting them constantly know that, you know, being very forthright with my, my journey as well to say like my body has changed throughout these 10 years multiple different ways 
Um, but when it was all said and done, what I really enjoyed was being able to just move my body and move it freely. And like, that's what I really want to do. You know, um, the definition of running um, can be can be a few different ways, but like one of the ways, uh, one of the ways that definition is, is to move freely, like running water, like running water moves freely. So that's how I really think about running. It's like, we're just trying to move freely in this world. I am so excited to welcome BetterHelp as a new sponsor for this podcast. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, all you have to do is just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's a chat, text, phone, or even a video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for some reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, <laughs> more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price, and you can do it pretty quickly. To get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled, visit the link in the show notes. And again, that is betterhelp, better H-E-L-P dot com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y F-U-E-L-E-D. I've used BetterHelp myself. A bunch of my clients have also used it and other people that I know from my personal life. And it is such a helpful resource. So if you have ever thought about wanting to get started with therapy, the best thing you can do is to just take the plunge, get started, book the appointment, and start getting some help today. Now let's get back to the episode. I love that. I think that's super important. And just again, kind of reflecting back to why am why are we doing this in the first place? Can it come out of a place of, you know, self-love, self-care, just wanting to find joy, um, maybe wanting to prove a doctor wrong in your case at first. <laughs> um, and then, you know, understanding that nutrition can be something to support your goals and not to try and kind of shrink them. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And um, kind of too, on the topic of Slow AF Run Club, um, I wanted to ask you too, like wh why the title Slow AF Run Club? I I was reading the book on um, on the couch last night and I'm, I'm at my family's house and my mom was like, oh, what book are you reading? And I was like, oh, I was kind of excited. You know, my mom's in her sixties. Um, I was like, oh, it's called Slow AF Run Club. I'm interviewing the author tomorrow on my podcast. I'm super excited to meet him. And she was like, oh, what's it about? And I was like, oh, well, it's about, you know, um, it's like an, you know, it's like a book to help um, runners kind of find their grounding in the sport who are true beginners because a lot of other books are kind of a more elitist level or they're written by like pro athletes and the information's not very accessible. Um, and she was like, what does AF mean? <laughs> and I was like, I was waiting for this. And I was like, it means slow as fuck. And she burst out laughing. She burst out laughing. And she was like, I love that. That's amazing. And then I told her, you know, I was like, the author's um, Instagram handle is 300 pounds and running. Um, and, you know, I told her a little bit about your kind of running origin story from the book. And she was like, I don't know him, but tell him when you talk to him tomorrow that he is my hero and that doctors give terrible life coaching advice. <laughs> 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 so why, why slow AF run club, especially for the person who's listening, who maybe like would benefit a lot from this book, but would be offended by being called a slow runner. What is your messaging so, the reason why this book is the way it is everything i do in my life is is pretty much a middle finger to somebody who has <laughs> wrong. so as i was running a race um i was running new york city marathon and a heckler heckled me so get off the bridge i got my headphones in like somebody's like loud like doing gestures to me and i take off my headphones i'm like what was going on and he's like you're slow as fuck buddy go home and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> he's like you're slow as fuck go home 
And I had an argument with this guy. I'm like, you telling me I'm slow and I need to go home and you're the one that's drunk on the side of the course drinking and uh, and I'm running the race. And I was like, no, you go home. And, you know, I finished the race. And one of the things I thought about was like, you know what? This is not the first time somebody has told me that I'm slow or like lose weight, get faster, all this other stuff. I'm just going to start wearing slow AF across my chest. And that's what I did. Every race that I ran from that point on, I started wearing slow AF. People thought it was hilarious. So much so that people asked me like, hey, am I selling these shirts? And entrepreneur me was like, well, I do now. So as I uh, released these shirts, I sold 500 shirts in my first weekend. And um, that was amazing, right? And as we grown, you know, I grew to like this club that we actually created, you know, in this app. And one of the things that as we start to evolve in this community, one of the things that I'm really just thinking about is that like AF can be, um, it's subjective because I know like it's the PG-13 rating or like PG-13 way of saying it, but like it's internet talk, right? Like internet talk can change throughout life, right? So like, wow, AF on the internet means love as fuck or like as fuck, like I, I, I personally think that AF can mean whatever you want it to mean, right? It can mean slow and fabulous. It can mean slow and fat run club, right? I think it can mean any of those things, but I really think that a lot of people take the literal sense to it of like slow as fuck. And I'm completely okay with that as well. I love it. That's such a great story. So it was the heckler who gave you the idea and also so you could give the middle finger to him as yes. you finish the race. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. I think, um, I think too, like, you know, when, when someone kind of can ide- identify themselves as a slow runner or back of the packer or whatever they want, you know, you, you want to call it. Um, I don't know. I think some people have a hard time with that self-identification um of like accepting that you know their pace is what it is because maybe they want to improve it or maybe it's coming from that sense of not belonging to this like exclusive boston marathon qualifying obsessed kind of space of being faster um do you have any like advice for people who are having a hard time accepting you know where their fitness is at and what their pace is and it's taking away from the joy of the sport so the first thing I like to say is this comparison is a thief of joy. Um, so, and that's the thing about running is that running in a sense or in the sport of running is comparing yourself to somebody else's number, right? In a professional sense, like you run to get faster, you line people up against uh, you on the line and they say go. And like, you're supposed to run, you're supposed to get to the finish line faster, right? That's in a professional sense. How I really like to think about it is that like, if you're not a professional runner, and if you're like, your job is not um, to get gold medals and you know, go to the Olympics and things of that sort, running, this shit shouldn't matter. You know, you know, one of the things I found out is that for most road races in different areas, it's, it's permitted as a parade. Like, so it's not permitted as like a road race, it's permitted as a parade. So if you see it in that sense, like if everybody want to take the thing in a literal in a literal sense, like we're all paying to run in a parade and get a participation medal at the end of it. So like if that's like let that sink in. We are all paying to par- participate in a parade and to get a participation medal at the end of it. So if that's the case, like, why, why are we so serious? Why are we taking ourselves um, so seriously if, if we are all participating in this parade? Parades are supposed to be fun. Like, it's supposed to have floats and joy and things of that sort. But instead, they line us all up. And they're like, all right, go. And we, we tend to forget that this is just a parade. And like, yes, like, I understand the fast people. I understand the elites. Like, yes, get them out the way. Congratulations, you ran, you you got to the end of parade first. But for everybody else, like you're not training for prize money. You're not you're not getting prize money. You're not getting an elite um uh, uh elite sponsorships. So if that's the case, like you're just doing it for this parade medal. And if that's the case, like shouldn't you just have fun while participating in this, in this parade? That's pretty much what it is. When the Thanksgiving parade happens here every every year in New York City, 
you don't see them being like, oh, I need to get done with this parade and I need to be, I need to be the, the first finisher in this parade is no, we, we run these streets and they participate in this parade for everybody can see and for everybody to have joy and fun. And I think that's how we all really need to think about this. I love that fact that it's, that it's permitted as a parade. Um, I think that's a good perspective though, because it's true. Like I think a lot of runners um, who get into the sport, it's not a bad thing, but they take themselves seriously. Like they, you know, they have goals, they want to pursue them and they're, they're paying to sign up for a race. Um, so they want to, you know, have a good experience. And I know for a lot of people that can be tied in with pace. So I love that perspective of like, you're not being paid to do this. In fact, you are paying to do this, you are paying and, for it's, this. <laughs> and it's a parade. So you should just have fun. Um, for, I mean, I want to talk about kind of some of the problems with races and their lack of inclusivity. Um, but for those people who are like, I know I have clients who are, it is their worst fear. It is their nightmare that keeps them awake at night to come in DFL as you talk about in your book and dead fucking last. Um, I mean, as someone, like you said, who's had these experiences, who works with runners who also have these experiences, can we like bring that down to earth a little bit. Like what is the worst thing that happens <laughs> if you come in last? Um, and what, what else do you have to say about those experiences just to yeah. kind of put it into context for people? The worst thing that happens when you come, come last in the parade is you have a police follow you. You have a little police, you have a police escort <laughs> in most cases In other cases, like you, you're just at the finish by yourself. Right. And you get to the end of the parade and people are packing up. Um, but guess what? <laughs> the world don't end. Life still goes on. And in most cases, you'll still get your medal, right? And if, if that's the worst thing that happens, you know, you just you just finish this parade a little, just a little slower than everybody else. But that's okay, because you finished the parade. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you're out there doing it on like the heckler on the side of the street. Right. <laughs> yeah. In terms of races themselves, um, I know a lot of races, you know, try to put, I mean, it's hit or miss if you go on like race websites with how much of a budget they have sometimes, but some of them try to put information on the website about things like, you know, the time cutoff, like how long the streets are going to be open for, you know, field size, aid stations and all of that stuff on the race. Um, in terms of ways races could be a bit more welcoming for all types of paces, um, you know, make runners who are, you know, in, in like the six hour plus group, especially if it's like a marathon, you know, feel like they're going to be able to have a, you know, a good time out there on the course, like everyone else. Um, there's a lot of problems <laughs> with races right now, running out of metals, um, running out of water, running out of fuel, packing up. Like you said, I was at one recently where he said, Oh, last cross guard was next to me. And he was like, Oh, last runner just came through. And I was with people who had GPS on their runner saying, no, ours is still out there. So last runner has not come through and we can confirm he's on the course, you know, and cross guard left. And then, you know, runner came through and we acted as the cross guard and, you know, told him where to go because the signs were taken down. Those types of things happen. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that experience and also just what races can do to not, you know, have that happen to people? Cause it's, yeah. it makes, it makes them feel so, you know, makes you feel so crappy <laughs> when that yeah. happens. I really think, and then here's the thing, right? Running road races or running parades, as I'm going to start calling them <laughs> from now on, <laughs> uh, running parades, um, of course, they, they have to have course limits. I get that. Like, I understand you can't have a parade open the whole day. But I think that, you know, parade directors or race directors um, can should get creative on how to help support the people who want to participate in this race, but may not be able to finish the cutoff. So I think about it like this, like, what time are you, what time are you setting up these barricades? What time does the actual elite start off, right? Is there an opportunity for you as a race director to let people self-select and start running before the race officially starts? Like, I think that's like a very simple, a very simple thing and let them know like, hey, 
you know, you may not have volunteers from the start, but like carry your own water. And as the race officially is open, like you'll be supported through the rest of the, throughout the rest of the race. I would rather be less supported at the beginning of the race than not supported at all at the end of the race, especially when I've been out there for five, six hours. So I think like that is a, a completely easy fix that they could possibly do. I think another thing is that, you know, they, they always talk about like municipalities and volunteers and things of that sort. And, you know, I understand like that, that is a, a challenge, right? You know, but, you know, my question is, can you have volunteers and shifts so they're not out there six hours in the sun, right? Um, you know, how much, it, how much is it more to really add an extra hour of policing, police duty, right? You already got them for six hours to seven hours. Like, how much is it more for an additional hour? So I think about those things, right? Because if, it, if it's that much more, like, couldn't you just add it? and the averages of all of the um, race participants you're already getting. So like if a race has, you know, 15 to 20,000 members or like people participating, like and the race is this much dollars. And if you did the math and it's only additional 10 more dollars per person to make sure that uh, we have police or guards or whatever out there for additional hour, I think it just makes more sense to help that uh, have that cost and, and adjusted amongst all of the people. So like, those are a few things just to top of my head that I think races can do. Um, and they should do. Um, I think the last thing is that, you know, what would it look like to, um, you know, they have like these race cups and things of that sort, but what would it look like to leave like little, those little mini bottles of water at the little race station? Once people leave, like what, like, how much trouble would that be just to leave cases of water there if you can't have volunteers there to like participate in the race for the people who are in the back of the pack? Absolutely. I've always thought that too. Like, you know, we can keep the table there and just have someone come get it <laughs> the next day or Somebody later on. Get it later, right? <laughs> like what would it look like just to have a water bubble, like one of those like office water cooler bubblers there, like buy a couple of those and just leave the five gallon jug there and just like let people get water or like a Gatorade, one of those big Gatorade tanks. Like what would it look like just to leave two or three of those out there on the table and like come go get those later on? Or like I've, I've participated in races where like the sag wagon didn't have water or anything. Like what would it look like to like have supplies in that and, and let people know of like, hey, you know, we finna close up. There won't be any more water, but guess what? Here's two bottles of water to like get you on your way. Something, right? But there, I feel like for some of these race directors, and it's not all of them, right? But I think some of these race directors like pride themselves of like being old school. You know, they pride themselves of like providing old school running in the sense of like, oh, this race is not inclusive. This is race is actually exclusive. And this is what we want to do. Yeah, I know like the messaging that sends too, whether it's intentional or unintentional is like, well, get faster, right? Right, lose um, weight, get faster. Yeah, and I know like I, I've even heard other runners say that in the community and I'm like, I don't think that's the right message we need to be sending. I think we want people, one, to pay money, to spend money and come to your race. Like, do you not want money? Um you know, and, and like their money is still good. Um, and two, you know, again, we're trying to make the sport um, open to people who want to do it as a sport that's touted to be like, you know, cheap, you just need a pair of shoes, which we know at the end of the day is kind of not true <laughs> after you get the watch and everything else. But, um, you know, it's something that, you know, should be more accessible for the runners that, you coach and the, the mindset that you have to have, you know, yourself going into these races. I know in your book, you said, yeah, like they, they could run out of water fuel. There's no more crowd to support you. The signs are gone. There's no more toilet paper in the porta potties at one race. Like all these things happened at once. Um, how do you kind of like tell people to prepare for that being the case? Because I think it's really, you know, for me as a coach and I'm talking to my runners and I, you know, I really don't have that experience, um, just with where I tend to be in the pack. I know it happens because I know it happens to my clients. Um, 
you know, so I can speak from, you know, information, but not personal experience. Like, what do you tell people to do to mentally prepare for that and physically prepare for that? Because that can be, that gets harder when you're surprised by it. Yeah. I, and I think that's the beautiful part of like the stuff that I wrote in the book is that in the book, I tell them to be prepared for this. Look, I'm going to tell you, and that's why I tell them, I'm going to tell you something I wish somebody would have told me. You need to be prepared for all of this stuff. This stuff is going to happen. I've had it happen to me all the time, and it had to happen to me at, at most races that I bring. And with that being said, now that you know this happens, can't be mad because it's happening. So with that being said, like, what, what are you going to do? So for me, one of the things that I do, and I, and I mentioned in the book, is that most races that I run, I run with like one of those hydration backpacks. And sometimes I won't even run a particular race unless I can, like, I, unless I can run a half marathon or full marathon with that, uh, that hydration backpack. And in that hydration backpack, I have wet wipes. I have three liters of water, depending on how, how, how hot the race is. I have my own race snacks, things of that sort. And it's one of the things where, you know, I take pride in like self, self supporting myself and understanding like, yeah, I'm a part of this parade. Um, this parade ain't gonna support me, but I still want to be a part of it. I still want to participate. And since they're not gonna uh, support me, I need to support myself, right? It's that thing of like, um, it's that notion of you got to save yourself. Like you can't, I forgot who, the, who this was. I was just reading this book about, you know, the oppressor, it's not the oppressor's job to save the oppressed. Like it's, it's up to the oppressed to liberate themselves. And I think that's the same, that's the same model that I take for myself, right? Like in, until these races change, it's up to myself to make sure that I'm doing the things I need to do in order to um, continue to run these races and have fun while I'm doing it. Yeah. And I, it's, it's unfortunate that it's that way, you yeah, know, races, <laughs> like it sucks. Um, and I think the, the mindset of like, you know, yeah, let me make sure I have enough fuel. Let me make sure I have enough water. Let, let me make sure that like when it's already hard at the end of a race, no matter how much support you have, you know, you have the things you need to continue having a positive mindset. Um, but I think it's important to, to tell because it's, it, it is tough. Like when, you know, you've got someone training for a race that they've put so much work into, and then you kind of have to have the conversation of, okay, now like this race, unfortunately does not care about you. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they took your money, uh, but they don't care about you. Um, and that doesn't make you a lesser runner. Like it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just, they have, you know, their rules of whatever the time limit is and whatever support they're going to offer, which are problematic, but they are what they are until they change. So you have to make sure you're prepared. Um, but I, I really appreciate that conversation because I think it's, I think it sucks. And a lot of races could do so much better with some of those minor changes that you talked about, especially like the, the volunteers coming out in different shifts. Like you would have fresh people who haven't been cheering for six hours you know, like you'd have like that fresh energy, um, which makes it so much better. But yeah, I think, um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that department. Yeah. And, and and I would say the last thing is that if, and if you are doing this stuff, like you are carrying your own snacks, bring enough for everybody, bring enough for a few people, right? You wouldn't believe yeah. how many people I've been on the course with and like, they are struggling like they are struggling as well because they don't have any water. They don't have any snacks. And like, just for me to be like, here, yo, here's a snack. Here's some rice fuel. Or like, hey, man, I got some, I got some salt tablets. Like, do you need one? Like, I don't have water for you, but like, here's a salt tab. Here's, a, here's some goo. Like, I got extra. Oh, don't worry about me. Like, I, I, I got extra, but like, maybe this will help you get to the, to the finish line or get to the next aid station. Totally. And then you're like the real MVP of the day. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. I always tell my clients, I'm like, bring extra gels, bring extra salt sticks or whatever you need, because one, you might drop it or you might need it, but also you could like save someone else and make their entire day, um, which, and make new friends, which is a good feeling. Um, well, this has been amazing. Um, I really appreciate 
appreciate these conversations and that you do so, so much work to help kind of spread this information. Um, where can people find you, your club, your book? Where can they get access to all the resources you provide? Absolutely. So you can find out about me at 300 pounds and running on Instagram and Facebook It's 300 spell out pounds and rounding. Um, you can find out more about the book. You can do, get the book wherever books are sold. Um, please go support your indie bookseller first. Um, I'll say that. And then you can find out about Slow AF Run Club at slowafrunclub.com, as well as we have an app where all the community of 10,000 members is housed at. So if you go to your favorite app store, uh, you'll be able to find us there at Slow AF Run Club. And they can buy awesome turtle merch too. Absolutely. <laughs> what you are sporting in this video. Um, all right. Well, I'm excited to ask you the end of the podcast question. Didn't warn you about this. So excited to hear your answer. Um, all right. So you are finishing the best marathon of your life. Uh, it went great. You know, awesome race, unicorn day. Uh, what song would be playing at the finish to embody how you're feeling in that moment? Oh, my God. Whoosh. That's a <laughs> tough one. That is a tough one because usually by then my phone has died. <laughs> <laughs> so in the sheer chance that my, my phone is alive, uh, it'll probably be playing like Till I Collapse by Eminem. Oh, such a classic. Yes. Yeah, great song. That's a great finish line song. Yeah, we got a playlist going. We're going to add that one for sure uh, for all, all the guest answers. Sounds good. Martinez, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you all the best and giving you all the energy to continue your book tour and all the things that you're doing for Slalea Friend Club. Thank you very much. Martinez, thank you so, so much for coming on the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. Appreciate your perspective and the work that you do so much. Guys, make sure you go check out uh, Slow AF Run Club, the book, the club, the community. I'm going to link it all in the show notes. And if you need an all-inclusive nutrition resource, resource to help support your running goals, whatever they may be, whether you are a two-hour, three-hour, five-hour, eight-hour, 10-hour marathoner, make sure you check out the Runner Roadmap course. Again, you can use Podcast 10 um, at checkout for 10% off, and that will be linked in the show notes as well. Until next time, happy running. Thank you.